Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Weekly dose of Louisville basketball therapy. We're back for the starting 502 podcast. As always, Preston Mauer, your host for the most, Jake Hook, back with us for a second consecutive week, as promised. Jake, how are we doing today, man? We're good. I'm uh, posted up, got some uh, honey wine in hand. Never, okay, so never had is, that before. What is honey wine? Like, is it actually made from honey or? I think it just has a little bit of honey in it. It's from some winery called Arrington in Nashville. My girlfriend got it, and I was skeptical, but it's it's delicious. They make just like it sounds kind of like a wine version of mead. Isn't okay, yeah, mead made from honey. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, it's made from yeah, honey ferments the fruit and all that stuff. Yeah, it's I like don't know mead. what their process is yeah. there, but whatever they're doing, they need to keep it up. All right, fair enough. Are you a big wine person, or is it just like? I yeah, a week weekday wine drinker and then weekends we 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 go up to the to the big boy stuff, but weekdays for sure wine. That's fair. Like I feel like and not to get too like in the weeds here, but I feel like wine just gives me such a headache. Like I'm a big bourbon guy just because like I know bourbon is so predictable. Like you know what you're getting with bourbon. Taste there's different tastes, there's different ways that it can hit your palate, but uh, pretty much the same effect no matter what with wine it can be like a real crapshoot like there can be some like real cruddy wines and some really good ones price point doesn't really matter with wine like it's just so it's so weird to me like i just stick to my bourbons and light beers and i think that's just like my range i think that's just like the normal like middle-aged male range <laughs> yeah it is yeah it's a wednesday night so i'm not going too too crazy but about half bottle full bottle and i'm good but anything over that, and I'm waking up and just absolutely hating myself. <laughs> that means you're washed now, bro. Congratulations. Welcome to I've, the club. I've been washed for five years. Give yourself a little credit, man. <laughs> Come on. 
one. But no, we're we're here. You guys are here to hear about some Louisville basketball. And at this point, as I kind of stated already, it's kind of like a like a, a just a check in, right? It's just your dose of Louisville basketball therapy is all it is. Uh, we should honestly become a call in show and just let people call in and just vent about the state of Louisville basketball. Like it's just, I don't know. Like I think Kenny, I think Kenny has truly done it. Like he, and, and maybe props to U of L too. Like we are to the point now where it's almost like, like they are almost getting fans to a point where they'll, they'll just be content with 15 wins. And that's never what Louisville basketball should be. Making the tournament is just an expectation. Making the sweet 16 is expected. You know, making the final four is the goal. It's, it feels like we're so far away from that. Uh, and, may, you know, you never know. Like, teams could come out the gate and surprise you. Um, if you want to spin it in any sort of positive way, there truly could have just been just something just very sinister with last year's team. That's pretty much the only <laughs> the only positive spin anybody has in their arsenal. Like, the coaching staff just, like, gave up because they were just like, this team's a wreck. Before we go any further, as you probably know, sports betting is officially live in Kentucky. Sports betting sites are offering new bettors tons of awesome bonuses to get started, and we've made it super easy and put all of our favorite promos into one list for you. Check out all of our best sportsbook promos at bit.ly, that's bit.ly slash state of Louisville, so you can maximize your first bets. Also, each time you sign up for one of our promotions, you're directly supporting our podcast. So if you're looking to sign up for the new Kentucky Sportsbooks, head over to bit.ly, again, that's bit.ly, bit.ly slash state of Louisville for our top offers. That's bit.ly forward slash state of Louisville. Offers are only available for new customers who are 18 plus or 21 plus at select sports books and physically present in Kentucky. Please gamble responsibly. And as always, if you have a loved one who has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-GAMBLER. We have Louisville basketball's full schedule. Reports that came out, if you listen to our last podcast, uh, we're absolutely correct in regards to who Louisville's playing in the non-conference. A nice, cushy non-conference schedule. They start off with what we did not know previously was who they are playing in scrimmages. They're playing uh, Simmons College and Kentucky Wesleyan. Make of that what you will, but I think those teams are even worse than the teams that they played last year in exhibitions. You open the season at the KFC Yum Center with three straight, just as you did last year. UMBC, Chattanooga, Coppin State. Uh, and then you head up to Madison Square Garden. You play against Texas, a, a great Texas squad, to be honest. And then you play probably the loser of UConn or Indiana, if, if we had to guess. Like, I, I, I would find it hard to believe that Louisville's going to be Texas. You never know, but that would be a, a massive – I mean, imagine, you know, Louisville's playing – I'm not sure they're playing November 18th. I'd have to look it up. But that weekend of football and basketball – Louisville winning a football game of significance. I think they play – is that the Miami game? I think that's Miami. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I know Virginia Tech is November 4th. Duke is the weekend before that. I can't remember after after those two weeks, though. But the offseason, that's where, that's, where, that's where you dream. So go ahead and dream, Presley. Absolutely. Uh, November 18th, they do play at Miami, the football okay. team. I will be there in attendance. Then I'll be heading, heading back to – to the crib in Florida, uh, watching that 3.30 p.m. game against Texas Madison Square Garden. Uh, and then they'll play at some point on Monday. I'm assuming probably they have like a 7 and 
in Madison Square Garden. Into the non-conference grind of New Mexico State on November 26th on a Sunday. Bellarmine on November 29th at, at the KFC Yum Center. We had speculated that might be at, at Bellarmine, but it is, in, in fact, in the Yum Center. And then you get a little uh, you get a little conference flavor, and that's something we didn't really get into. You know, you have that big break between November 29th and December 9th when they travel to DePaul. Uh, after Bellarmine, they traveled to Virginia Tech on December 3rd, and then they traveled to DePaul. Um, so that's a little wrinkle in the schedule. Virginia Tech has been fielding some pretty solid last couple of years. Uh, and then rounding out the non-conference, you have Arkansas State and Pepperdine at home uh, before hosting Kentucky December 21st, the Thursday before Christmas. Um, so any before you kind of move past that non-conference, We'll get into that in the future, but any thoughts on, on how the non-conference schedule panned out? And um... I mean, I, I can't give this coaching staff a lot of credit just yet based on what we saw last year, but I think they did do a really great job of building out this non-conference schedule because after only winning four games last season, if we front-loaded this schedule and just got destroyed and we're under 500 by the time we're going into conference play, I mean – morale is going to be so down fan support is going to be so down so i think the staff did a really good job of setting themselves up to be nine and three eight and four at the end of this with a couple challenging games texas iu or texas iu or uconn virginia tech uk so we'll get to see kind of what this team is by the end of the non-con but we've also got a lot of really winnable games that i think are super important for team morale fan support and just keeping this coaching staff alive it's it's crucial that this team has a winning record in the non-conference. Like it will be like it's already like DEFCOM four or something. Which way is it? You... Is it the bigger the number or is it the lower? I think it's the lower the number, the more serious the threat. Is that right? I, I think so. I, that sounds right. But whatever the DEFCOM is, it's like it's pretty it's getting it's nearing close to not good. <laughs> and then they don't have another conference game until January third. So that's nice in a sense compared to last year where they played, I believe, three conference games before they rounded out uh, the non-conference schedule. So there's a there's a, a blend. Um, but just quickly looking over the the schedule you have after after at Virginia Tech, you have at Virginia. Then you host Pitt at home, then travel to Miami. Uh, NC State at home, then travel to North Carolina. Wake for, or travel to Wake Forest after that. So. I wonder if they'll just go to North Carolina and just stay there because they have North Carolina January 17th and then Lake Forest on January 20th. Then you get Duke at home, Virginia at home, at Clemson, then Florida State at home, at Syracuse, Georgia Tech at home, at Boston College, at Pitt, Notre Dame home, Duke on the road, Syracuse at home again, Virginia Tech at home, and then you round out the schedule with Boston College at home. That's a lot to kind of process there, but quick initial thoughts on on the conference schedule. I hate having to go to Virginia for the very, uh, well, not the very first, but I guess the second conference game. That's a uh, mm-hmm. that's going to be a battle. But then it kind of eases up. You go Pitt at home, then but then back on the road at Miami. So I mean, I think the beginning of the schedule is actually kind of tough at Virginia, at Miami, at North Carolina, at Wake Forest, all in the first six games. And then you go home, Duke, Virginia. Starts to ease up there towards the middle end, though. So uh, hopefully this team can hit its stride toward the end, playing at Boston College, at Pitt, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, Boston College again to round out the end of your schedule. That's uh, it's definitely the way I'd like to end my schedule. 
Yeah, I mean, I kind of mentioned this to you in casual conversation, Jake, but the first thing that really stands out to me, number one, no ACC, SEC challenge. We kind of already knew that. Louisville was the odd man out because they came in, they technically came in last in the conference last season. The positive that you get from not being one of the top, you know, they're typically considered a top five or six team in the conference year in, year out. Back Going back to the Patino days, early Chris Mack days, you know, they're considered a top three team in the conference, right? Uh, and then you get schedules like you had last year where, you know, Miami and Clemson were excellent teams last year. Virginia is always a good team. And here's how they finished the season at Miami, Virginia at home, Clemson at home, at Duke, at Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, at Virginia. That's a brutal finish to a schedule. Whereas this year, you finish off the schedule, you host Boston College on senior day. For it seems like since since they started in the ACC, they've hosted Virginia uh, every other year on senior day. And if it's not Virginia, it's Virginia Tech or it's Miami or it's like a, you know, a, a high level squad uh, to host. You know, Boston College isn't by any means. Nobody's a gimme game, uh, but but Boston College isn't by any means uh, a super difficult opponent. Right. You get them at five thirty on a Saturday uh, for senior day, uh, have Notre Dame at home. You travel to Duke and then you get Syracuse, Virginia Tech, Boston College all at home. Uh, Syracuse, not quite the program that they were just a few few years ago. Virginia Tech, solid, but at least you get them at home. Um, and then you had venue again, Boston College in the season, a little bit easier stretch. And as you already indicated, you don't have these like murderous stretches, right? Like you don't have these stretches where you play at North Carolina on a on a Saturday night at nine o'clock for college game day or something and then come back home and host Duke on a Monday. Louisville had a lot of those in previous iterations of schedules. This year, you know, you travel to Virginia on January 3rd, but then you get Pitt at home. So, like, Pitt, you know, kind of middle to bottom tier of the conference typically. Then you travel to Miami, but then you get NC State at home. Then you travel to North Carolina, but then you get Wake Forest, too, you know, is is a toss-up year in and year out. You know, you got Duke at home, Virginia at home, so, you know, those are two good back-to-back opponents, but both at home. There's things like that that I look at on the schedule. Again, the ACC slate will never be, quote-unquote, easy, but at least you have time to prepare. At least it's not – it doesn't feel like this daunting murderous stretch, whereas if you look at, like, a Duke schedule or a North Carolina schedule, it seems like they're always backloaded. So what they what they like to do is get these teams, you know, where they're, like, really rolling – you get, you know, say it's Duke, North Carolina, and Miami this year, kind of battle it out towards the end of February, early March. But all of a sudden you have Duke, North Carolina, Miami, and say it's, you know, this year, this year's, you know, fourth team is like Virginia Tech, right? And you have those teams all playing each other, having a, you know, kind of battling, battling it out. That's typically how they want it to work, right? They want these big pre-conference tournament games to be big-time matchups, right? And that's not necessarily something that Louisville has to deal with. So in my opinion, if there are benefits of being one of the worst teams in the ACC last year, it's that you at least get a little bit of a reprieve schedule wise. I mean, do you kind of, do you agree with that notion? Yeah. I mean, especially to end the season, like you said, because they always want to front load that schedule for the top dogs, make it a little easier. So you've got 
North Carolina, Duke, Virginia sitting at seven and one halfway through the conference. And then towards the end, you've got all your top dogs that have a great conference record playing against each other. So it makes it interesting. You've got more top 25 matchups at the end. The thing I noticed also for the cable dogs like myself, uh, we've got eight ESPN games. So that's eight games I won't have to illegally stream. There you go. And then we've also got four for the first time ever CW games. Uh, excited to see what that looks like. Not holding out too high of hopes but uh i think you said earlier it's going to be like the raycom games where the broadcasters Mm -hmm. probably aren't that great probably don't even know how to pronounce everybody's names but hey it's a little (laughs) basketball on cable television so i'll take it absolutely i was about to say especially for the old school guys who haven't cut the cord yet uh this is a great schedule for you this year uh it's it's funny you know you look at some of the teams now and it's like right those guys are going to a lot of streaming games because they're trying to push people towards streaming (laughs) <laughs> and now you're seeing Louisville a lot more on, on national TV, which is funny. Yeah, as you indicated, eight games on, on the ESPN networks. Um, you also have some, you know, ACC networks in there. Uh, so, yeah, kind of kind of a fascinating case study on what happens when you suck that bad. We could come back to, to say later on, like, wow, we did not expect Pitt to be that good this year. Like, we did not expect NC State to be that good. It is – it's just kind of interesting to just see – how that tends to work out, right? You know, there there are <laughs> if there are any benefits to sucking, uh, that those are two benefits. Number one, you get a lot more on cable television, and number two, the schedule is not quite as daunting. I really keep looking at you know this non-conference schedule to tell us what kind of potential that Louisville can have. Obviously, it's just like Louisville football this year, right? Like, yeah, you played three power five teams out in your first four games that's great but the but the three power five teams were georgia tech indiana and boston college like that's a little different than playing 80 percent of the other power five teams right uh so you know it's still in a sense you're still in wait and see mode same with this non-conference right like umbc they have some name power because they made that big run in the ncaa tournament a couple of years ago and they have they're this no, they're not the sister gene one. That's Loyola. I'm sorry, uh, but UMBC. No, UMBC is the is the big Twitter. They have the the they have the great Twitter mod. If you, yeah. if you ever follow UMBC, they love the trash talk. Uh, but then you know Chattanooga, you know seems like a, a game that you have to win. Coppin State seems like a game you have to win. New Mexico State. We talked about New Mexico State's program pretty much just imploded and was canceled last year. Uh, Bellarmine is a get back game that everybody's going to have going to have their eyes on that everybody's going to want to see Louisville, you know, take that next step and beat Bellarmine. Whoa. And then, you know, you travel to DePaul, which is an opportunity for a win against a team that has been a fringe NCAA tournament team the last few years. So, uh, and, and then Arkansas state and Pepperdine, excuse me. Uh, so a bunch of winnable games, but in my opinion, I think you got to see at least six wins out of those games to even start considering the notion of, you know, being a bubble team or contending against ACC teams. What about you? Yeah, I was going to set the number at the minimum seven. And then, I mean, if you can get 10 wins out of that, then you're feeling really good. And maybe a lot of people were wrong about Kenny Payne. And that is a possibility. Uh, But yeah, seven wins, I think, is that minimum. You're playing seven non-power five teams. You're if you're Louisville you win those games. Maybe you lose one and you only win six, but then you can also very easily beat DePaul or Virginia Tech or someone like that. So yeah, seven wins is my bar. If they exceed that or meet it, 
I'll uh I'll have some optimism going into the conference schedule. But if they're under that, then uh it's gonna be some tough nights watching the CW. <laughs> it will be. It'll be some tough nights getting the Gilmore Girl rerun uh, <laughs> previews. Absolutely. Uh, getting into the actual talking about Louisville's roster side of things. And we previously recorded and we talked about what's going on with Tyler Johnson, what's going on with a lot of stuff that changed as soon as we recorded it. So kind of an update to the Tyler Johnson situation uh, last week, and that was that. He's eligible. He's going to be able to play this year, which I think, I don't know. Did it come as a surprise to you? I would say yes. I mean, he was committed to Memphis and then decommitted because it seemed like he was going to be ineligible. So to me, I thought that, well, Penny Hardaway let this extremely talented player go for a reason, most likely because he wanted a guy that was going to be eligible. So I figured the odds were kind of stacked against us. And, you know, the fact that the NCAA just loves to, deem every player ineligible no matter how convincing their situation is. So, yeah, completely shocked, but could not be more happy. I'll take this in a little bit different of a direction. I was definitely surprised as well, and I think the way that we kind of had had penned it uh, in, in previous episodes, it, it, it felt like Johnson was, was not going to be eligible. Like, it just felt like the writing was on the wall. And even listening to the coaching staff, like listening to Kenny Payne, it sounds like they were a bit surprised. Like they seemed optimistic, you know, on the front end of things, but really it sounds like they, it took them by surprise a little bit that he actually was able to qualify. So you, you never really know what happens, but, I, but I'll kind of put it in, pin it in this direction, I guess. Louisville loses Trenton Flowers and then gains Tyler Johnson as, as of about what, six to eight weeks ago, we thought that Trenton Flowers was going to be a starter on this team and that Tyler Johnson would not be a part of this team. So now looking back at it, looking back at everything that happened in hindsight with Trenton Flowers, do you feel like this team is better because of this? About the same or still like Trenton Flowers is kind of like a, a one and done type of talent and you're going to be better because of that type of player regardless? I might be hot takey here, but I, I think we're, if I had to choose one of the two players, Tyler Johnson or Trenton Flowers, I would have chosen Tyler Johnson. I think both are incredibly talented players. This is no knock on Trenton Flowers. This is more of I think that Tyler Johnson is everything that this team needed so desperately. A scorer, a ball handler, a playmaker, a point guard, and a guy that can help us not play Sky Clark for 36 and a half minutes a game. And, yeah, Trenton Flowers is going to give us a scorer, but besides that, he wasn't giving us – anything else, not a great ball handler, not a great playmaker, not a point guard, and not a guy that could help take Sky Clark off the court. So to me, I think this team is a step ahead of where they would have been had we have had Trenton Flowers over Tyler Johnson. I would put it this way. I mean, I think overall when you look at uh, their body of work, I think that Trenton Flowers is a better player and will be a better player than Tyler Johnson. However, when you look at, at needs and fit on this team, it feels like Tyler Johnson is more of what this team needed. You had a lot of people, kind of a, a log jam, if you will, at, at Trenton Flowers' position. Uh, and I, I know that he said a lot about, there's a lot to be said about him playing point guard or not playing point guard or being a guard in general. I mean, I do consider Trenton Flowers more of a guard, a slashing wing type of player. However, 
you need a guy, you need a second guy outside of Sky Clark, who, again, to emphasize as well, Sky Clark is not exactly the most proven player as a lead ball handler at, at the college level either. Uh, so you needed a, a second guy. And, yeah, a lot of people are saying that could be Karan Davis, and maybe that pans out, but everything that you look at suggests that Karan Davis is more of a, of a two-guard, more of an off-ball guard. Uh, and then after that, it's, it gets you get back into the same situation where uh, it's basically Hersey Miller and Zan Payne behind Sky Clark. So situationally, it feels like this is a huge win for Louisville. And overall, this makes Louisville a, a better team as far as depth and as far as uh, you know what you actually need for a team, if that makes sense. It'd be like uh, putting together a football team, right, and having like nine tight ends and only having one quarterback. You know, it, it's great to have one quarterback, but what happen, What happens if you have to go to a walk on after the after you know Jack Plummer, right? Like it's just uh, it, it's it's comparable to that. It's it's kind of like when uh, Scott Satterfield showed up on Louisville's campus to make another football comparison and they had like six scholarship offensive linemen but they had I think like 16 receivers it, it, it was kind of the, a similar situation to that and that's how it felt last year not that you know not that L. Ellis wasn't uh, anything short of spectacular given the the scenario given the situation uh, it, it felt like Louisville was just just needed that one more piece so that L. Ellis could just play 28 to 30 minutes, give full effort on defense, uh, be an actual distributor and be kind of a game changer. You got down to the end of games last year and L. Ellis is trying, is just trying to do way too much. And, you know, with, with la- last year's roster, you're looking at, you know, you're down seven, 10, 12 points towards the end of every game. You have no shot at making a comeback. If you have a point guard that's played every single second of the game. Uh, and so that's an important thing to keep in mind. Now, Tyler Johnson is not necessarily going to be, you know, I, I don't expect him to to come in and, and shock the world and be some incredible player, but I think that he's a good enough piece and a good enough talent that, you know, if, if you needed him to play 15 or 20 minutes, if uh, Sky Clark or, or, you know, whoever gets in foul trouble or, you know, God forbid is injured or anything of that nature, when you need that, that piece, I, I think that, that Tyler Johnson is a quality fit. Yeah, I I don't expect him to start. I think we've got Sky Clark and Mike James right there in the one two, so I think I think he's fine. He's going to come off the bench, but I think he gives us that reliable at least ten minutes a game to probably start the year, and then as the year goes on, he gets more acclimated with the system and with the speed of college basketball. He could bump to fifty. 15, 20 minutes and maybe have Sky Clark and Tyler Johnson on the floor at the same time, though that would be an undersized uh, backcourt duo. But I mean, I just think he's a guy that sometimes you just need. You need a guy to come in and score 10 points off the bench, 15 points off the bench. He's going to have a game where we're like, holy crap, how do we win that game? It's because Tyler Johnson came off the bench and scored 15 points on eight shots and had three assists. And we're like, holy crap, thank God we called that guy. Yep. I wouldn't doubt it in the least. I really wouldn't. Uh, and he is that prototypical New York City style point guard, uh, you know, quick off the dribble, uh, finishes through contact. Uh, he's played at a pretty high level. Uh, so I, I think this is a guy that could surprise some people in a sense that he feels more college ready than most of the freshmen on, on Louisville's team. Caleb Glenn has a great 
uh, frame, but still, you know, needs to make the, the adjustments. He's only one year removed from playing at Mail. Uh, and not not to say that that Louisville and Kentucky basketball in general is, is terrible, but it's not at all the level of where he went when he when he played for La Lou for a year. Uh, Curtis Williams is kind of just a question mark at this point. Uh, Dennis Evans obviously uh, has some work to do uh, to improve his overall game. So overall, coming into the season, you know, I thought that if Trenton Flowers was the freshman that's going to play the most, that Tyler Johnson would be second. Uh, so now with Flowers out, out the window, I absolutely think that that Johnson's a guy that's going to get more clock than people anticipate, and he could make a, a tremendous impact. Uh, and, 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 you know, playing with a guy like Sky Clark, who has a lot of similar skill sets, um, that could be super beneficial as well. And now you could look at – you can start really playing with this roster and seeing, okay, well, we truly do have a two deep at every position. Uh, and then, you know, even your 11th, 12th, guys um have potential to be okay at least uh, so that's that's pretty promising to me uh, again i'm not expecting tyler johnson to come in and and you know just shock the world or anything like that but i i think that you know having a guy that that can be a supplemental piece again god forbid something happens to to your starting point guard you have to have somebody behind him uh and i think that this is Considering all things considered, I think this is this is a great fit. Yeah, I I I couldn't be happier. I think he's, in my opinion, the most impactful freshman we'll have on this team. I mean, I think guys like Dennis Evans and Caleb Glenn have a potential to be really really great players for this team. Curtis Williams as well, um, especially with their frame. I mean, Tyler Johnson really the only thing that holds him back. It's not skill. It's the size. It's the fact that he's six foot and he's 160 pounds. Those are really the only fears I have. He's got those uh, Russ Smith frenetic moments where you're like, oh, my God, no, 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 no. Oh, thank God. And he just hits the shot. And then there's sometimes where he makes you pull your hair out. And it's like, why, why, why throw the ball behind the back? Something like that. So he'll have his moments where he's good and he's bad. But skill is not an issue. I just think it'll be him kind of getting acclimated to that college basketball level and that speed and uh, hopefully him being able to put on a little bit of weight because 160 pounds, he's he's going to be a mismatch on defense a lot of times at that mm-hmm. size and that weight. Yeah, I, I could see him maybe playing a little bit with Clark and situationally as like those microwave guys that can uh, pick you up three quarters or full court, something of that nature. Uh, you know, if you're trailing towards the end of a game, if, you know, situationally, uh, that that could be a really cool duo to see in the backcourt together. Uh, and then, you know, I, I am interested in seeing improvement from Hersey Miller, uh, a, a guy that, you know, he was really solid in stretches last year. Um, I, I've always said, you know, Hersey Miller just needs to be Elisha Justice. That's all Louisville needs him to be. Uh, and it, it, if he can continue that now, instead of being the the secondary point guard, if he can be a guy that can just kind of come off the bench and be like an energy guy, like a spark plug type of type of situation, um, you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, just poo-poo the fact that that Hersey Miller is on the squad as well. Uh, so when you when you add Tyler Johnson, all of a sudden you kind of look at this roster from a much more positive uh, framing. Now, can the coaching staff and uh, the the players take this and turn this into something, you know, special? Can they? Can you go from a four win season to making the tournament? That definitely remains to be seen. Uh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, hold out hope for that necessarily. 
but I still think that should be the expectation that they're held to. And speaking of Kenny Payne, we have had not heard much from, from Payne or the coaching staff in general today. Uh, you see Nolan Smith comes out talking with our guy, Jeff, Jeff Lightsey, which by the way, if you don't follow Jeff Lightsey, uh, one of the up and coming names for, uh, 35s, 35KY Sports that has a show on Saturday mornings, but Jeff is doing a lot more, becoming a lot more active uh, on social media as well right now. So definitely a person to follow. Jeff had a, an interview with Nolan Smith, obviously addressed uh, some of the the rumors that Nolan Smith had interviewed uh, for a G League job. Nolan did confirm that he had interviewed for a G League job. So thought that was interesting. And Kenny Payne got to talk about that a little bit. Uh, Nolan said that he for sure was not leaving. Uh, do you do you buy into that, or why why, why else would you interview interview for a job? Yeah, it's kind of I don't know. I'm gonna I'm just gonna choose to give him the benefit of the doubt. There's no point in doubting him. I mean, there is, I guess there is some argument to be had that interviewing for a head coaching job and kind of getting that experience of the interview process and what. GMs of G League teams and other college basketball teams are looking for when they're speaking to coaches. Um, it helps him out, and it helps him out that teams are looking at him as a head coach. That also kind of gives him bigger buzz. So I think there are a couple of reasons why you would do it, but I I feel like those reasons don't outweigh the potential negative of the fan base finding out that you're looking at other jobs. So I'll, I'm going to choose to believe Nolan here and hope that he's in it for the long haul. But uh, it's definitely definitely not the best look. It's not the best look. I mean, I understand from Nolan's perspective, like if, if it's just straight up that Nolan's just looking for another job, I mean, who could really blame the guy? I mean, he he played college basketball at Duke, uh, won a national championship, you know, played at the highest level uh, as, as a guard for Duke, uh, then goes on to be an assistant coach for the legend that is Coach K. Uh, and, and then pops over to Louisville, and Louisville has their worst – season in school history. And not only that, uh, you know, it just seems like Kenny Payne does things his own way, which is fine, but you have to have coaches that uh, are, are willing to kind of go along with that. Like it feels like a Danny Manning is a guy who he had his head coaching gigs. Uh, he had his shot in the big time. And now he's kind of resided like a Bobby Petrino type to kind of just give it up and and be that second man. Like a lot of people are a great number two. Uh, and and I, I think that's a great fit for him. However, when you look at a, at a Nolan Smith, Nolan Smith is wanting to become a head coach. Uh, and, and, you know, who could blame him? You know, he wants to get to the top of, of his profession. And when you are coaching alongside a, a coach like Kenny Payne, it feels like this is Kenny's chance and he wants to do it the Kenny Payne way. And, with that in mind, Nolan does not really have a chance to have a say in, in a lot of things that he did at Duke, at least from what I can kind of ascertain from the situation. And so just thinking about it from, from that reference point, not that there's any anything, you know, any beef between or any bad blood between Nolan Smith and Kenny Payne, it's more that, you know, maybe sometimes that it, it makes total sense for Nolan to come to Louisville but it doesn't make total sense for his connection with Kenny, right? Like maybe there's, you know, it's not all hundred percent clicking there. Uh, and, and I, 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 that's not, uh, you know, me, you know, speaking out of the side of my mouth or just, you know, speaking on rumors more, just speculating at 
you know, it, it never, it doesn't feel like anything last year clicked. And so with that in mind, if I'm Nolan, I know the timing looks terrible, but as long as, you know, he's given his coach a heads up and uh, everybody's cool with it, I don't, I don't see necessarily an issue uh, with him interviewing. However, the fact that it got out and the timing right after the Trenton Flowers stuff, it did look really bad. So it's nice to just, it's nice to see, uh, you know, Nolan being able to come out and speak out about it. It's nice to see Kenny kind of having his back on the situation. And, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. Give him the benefit of, of, of the doubt. And, you know, it could just be something to have in, in the back of your mind. You know, when we get to the middle of the season, you know, uh, we could always look back and be like, it, it's kind of like this, The again, to draw another parallel, it's kind of like the Scott Satterfield thing, right? When he interviewed at South Carolina, a lot of people were super pissed and it was coming off of a really bad year. And, and and so at the time, I think a lot of us were just like, look, we can sit here and be upset about the Scott Satterfield thing or we can support the team. Like, you know, you, you can't really ride both lines. However, now we look back at the Scott Satterfield situation and say, wow, it's great that he's gone. It's great that everything worked out the way that it did. However, at the time, you kind of just had to make a decision either to move on or some fans kind of sat on that and use that as a reason to, you know, not be as supportive as they normally would have been. So I will choose to kind of just look at that as a guy trying to make it to the next level, trying to progress in his career and, you know, choose to be supportive about that. But there is good reason to speculate, you know, what is going on with that? Because it, you, you, as a, as a brand new head coach for the first time, you never want to bring in somebody who immediately is going to start looking to go elsewhere. And that could still be cause for concern. Uh, so that's kind of the way that that I would frame that. And I would just leave it at that. Other stuff from the Kenny Payne press conference. What kind of stood out to you as Louisville's kind of preparing for the first red-white scrimmage uh, on, on Wednesday the 11th? He said a lot. It's about a 30-minute presser on Monday. Uh, talked a little bit about Tyler Johnson said he's already improved a ton in practice and he actually highlighted his defense which is something that when I watched his film was like his biggest con was that he wasn't sound defensively he liked to reach too much and a lot of times he was just too aggressive whether it was on ball or off ball and got blown by a lot gave up straight line drives which was like the bane of my existence watching Louisville try to play defense last year was giving up straight line drives. So that's good to hear that Tyler's improving his defense, uh, called him a pest and uh, challenges everyone. Uh, he talked about Brandon Huntley Hatfield, um, which I know he was talking about him a lot last year in the off season as well. He came back again, said Hatfield needs to be an X factor. He said, quote, we need Brandon to be really, really good. If he's really good, this team has a chance to be special. Uh, he says Hatfield got down to 8% body fat this summer and uh, they're focusing on his uh, mental as much as they are the physical side of basketball. So I think that was interesting to hear that he feels that Huntley Hatfield is the X factor. I guess after watching the team last year, seeing what Huntley Hatfield is, I wouldn't have thought that. I mean, I think he does have potential to be a special player, but I definitely didn't look at that team and think, wow, that's the guy we need to become a tournament team or whatever it is. But maybe KP sees something that we haven't seen from him yet. My biggest concern, uh, if we're just singling out Brandon Huntley Hatfield, my biggest concern with him last year was was defensively. It seemed like when when he was truly fully healthy, it seemed like he was a real asset on the offensive end. 
Uh, he has the post moves. He's a capable outside shooter. Uh, he he can score at most levels uh, as an offensive player. Uh, the problem was last year, there's no real great fit for him uh, in, in that scheme with the roster as it was constructed. Uh, and, and not only that, he just he was just so lost on defense. It was uh, from the jump. It was greatly concerning uh, just how I'm not going to say incompetent. That sounds like such a negative connotation, but unprepared. He was just unprepared on defense. Uh, and, and the little things that you're taught to do uh, as a young player, uh, those just never happen. You know, it just never uh, came to fruition on the defense, defensive side of things. And then once he came back from injury, he was just never what he was for the five or six games before his injury. So uh, from the Brandon Huntley Hatfield perspective of things, I think that there's so much potential there. I see him as the starter at the five spot right now. Uh, but it, it all comes down to defense for him. If he can actually be a defensive presence, uh, then that's going to keep Dennis Evans off the court a lot more. Uh, if he can't get it together on defense, you know, it, that's one of those things where I feel like the coaching staff uh, could be trading offense for defense down the stretch of games. So that'll be something yeah. to watch for sure. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, what, two years ago, class of 2021, was a consensus four-star and some had him highly ranked, as high, highly ranked as a five-star. So, I mean, the kid has the potential to be amazing. He's really only going into a sophomore year. He just played a little bit with Tennessee in his very first year. So, I mean, he does have the potential and the opportunity to really be the X factor that KP's talking about. Now, the other things that I noticed, uh, he talked a little bit about last year's season. One of the big quotes was, there were individuals on last year's teams that couldn't get past themselves to be about something bigger than themselves. Uh, so I don't know which players he was talking about. Um, he didn't he didn't take any shots, and I wouldn't expect him to ever do that. He followed that up by saying some of them are here because of that, and some of them chose to leave. So it sounds like KP, again, emphasizing that basically last year he did not have a team that could compete talent-wise or could compete when it came to their attitude, which is something he sent at, but kind of really emphasized in this press conference a lot. Do you feel that just listening to the tone of the press conference, do you feel that Kenny is in a much seeing things in a much more positive light and being a little bit more candid about the team than he was last year? Oh yeah, for sure. It feels like when he talks about last year's team, he's never going to be, he's never going to call players out, but he is very clear that he did not have a bunch that was bought in to the team. They're bought in more to the self. And it seems like with this team, he talks about how they're all about the team and how they're working harder on the court in the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh yeah. In the, uh, I don't go to it very often, the gym. Um, they like to work out, getting stronger, getting tougher. So uh, it sounds to me like he sees a lot more positivity in the group of guys that he has compared to last year. And hopefully this isn't all just talk. Hopefully we actually see that on the court this year. Yeah, man, it's it's so difficult for me to, you know, like I, I don't want to get to a position again where, you know, I'm trying to put lipstick on a pig, right? And off-season talk is just that. It's just it's just off-season chatter. Uh, at, at this point, every year for the last 15 years, I've been incredibly invested in Louisville basketball 
you know, just so amped up for the red-white scrimmage, ready for the preseason, ready for all of that. But until I see the product on the floor, I mean, that's ultimately that's all that matters. Like, I've never had an issue with Kenny Payne as a person or anybody on the coaching staff. Uh, you know, I can – I could accept the recruiting aspect of things if that's not why – KP was brought to Louisville, right? Like that was his signature thing that he was just th this outstanding recruiter everywhere that he was. Like he was known as a guy that if KP's in the house and he wants a kid, he's going to get him. Like that was 99 times out of a hundred. That's who Kenny Payne was. And now he's kind of come in and, uh, well, and, and I apologize. The other thing obviously was that he was a great, developer of bigs that was that was the second kind of selling point but he came in last year recruiting hasn't been hot either year uh, I think that's the staff did a c minus to c job of reconstructing this roster uh, I, I think that's a fair assessment I don't think it was an f it but it definitely was not an a uh, and, and so when I look at at, at this team and and what Kenny Payne did last year and what we are looking forward to next year or th this coming year, there's not, there's not a lot to hang your hat on. And so I don't want to get too hyped up about the way that he's talking about the team or the way that, uh, you know, we're able to promote the team over social media or any of that. I mean, the reality is I just want to see what happens on the court before I get too excited. But with all that in mind, I will say there's definitely a different attitude and vibe around the program. I really like the kids' personalities that he's brought in. Like, he, they've done a really good job of just bringing in what seems like really good people. Like, from everything that I've experienced, Caleb Glenn is an A-plus person with a great upbringing, great family, obviously a male high school kid. That's a that's a huge bonus for him as well. Um and then, you know, the Sky Clarks, you know, Sky Clark has come in and immediately kind of taken over this team in, in, in a way that I don't think a lot of people expected. You know, if you talk to Illinois fans or Kentucky fans or anybody, anybody else that was kind of burned by that situation, they're basically haters. They don't <laughs> they don't like Sky Clark at all. So it's been uh, positive news to see Sky Clark come in and, and, you know, kind of take over the way that he has. I really like some of the pieces that are left over from last year. Big Mike James guy, huge believer that Mike James could take a huge jump this coming year. Uh, huge big D guy, uh, phrasing, right? Huge big D guy coming in. I mean, who doesn't big love D. big D? Uh, so there's a lot of pieces on this team that you can be excited for. Uh, however, you know, it's, it's just going to be a, a wait and see thing, right? Yeah, I mean, he can talk all he wants. I mean, no coach is ever going to be in the offseason being like, wow, the group of guys I have, they suck. The talent, not there. They're kind of all assholes. No coach is ever going to say that. So, of course, this is what we're going to hear. Uh, but I am glad to hear that he's being a little bit more open with the media, talking about the difficulties that he had last year. In his presser, he said uh, he wants everyone to look at this team and say, wow, they play hard. They play together. They talk to each other. And he wants people to see that there is a different – team chemistry there's a competitive spirit about these guys and the talent level has improved he says it's a totally different team so i those are all the things i want to hear 
those are the things that we missed last year. We didn't see guys that really seemed like they cared. You saw that on defense a lot, and you even saw that on offense sometimes. You saw the chemistry wasn't there. You saw that a lot on offense. So I'm hoping that the words that he's saying now in this press conference turn in to victories when it comes to November, December, January, February. Uh, the only thing that kind of bothered me that he said, uh, again, at the very end of that quote, he said, this is the first step of many in rebuilding this program. And it's just like, no, it, it cannot be the first step of rebuilding. Last year should have been your first step. And now this year, you, you mean, you've got to show improvement. You've got to get at least 15 wins. I mean, there are too many good coaches out there flipping programs in one season. And this is too good of a program for us to be like, okay, this is the first year in rebuilding. Now we got nine wins. Let's see if next year we can get 15. Like I, that's the only thing that really stood out to me and just really bothered me from what he said. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it is pretty easy to kind of, you know, especially after last year, it's very easy to nitpick everything that's said, but it's true. That is one part that kind of sounds like we're still having that attitude of last year. Like, I want to, as a fan base um, and, you know, as fans of of those making the decisions about Kenny Payne and his staff, I still want the pressure to be on for this team to succeed. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm going to cheer for this team to succeed, and I hope that all of my, my suspicions and intuition about the situation, I hope all of that is completely wrong uh, and, and that, you know, we're able to get, get out there and really truly turn this thing around. I mean, there is a chance, like I'm not, I'm not going to downplay that either. Uh, but, but at, at, at the same time, yes, that does sound a lot like last year where, you know, it just, it, it, it felt like there was uh, too much of a long-term um, outlook on, on this program, you know, like we're looking at, five years down the line before we think we're going to be good again. And that's just not, that just doesn't cut it in this day and age. I could see in 1995, if the same situation happened and Kenny Payne took over uh, and that was the attitude, I could see that because at that time, almost every player was playing three, four years. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was, there was no transfer rules. There was no NIL. There was no way to just immediately turn a program around. That's not the attitude that you should have in 2023. In 2023, you can literally get rid of every player on your team and go out and use all of the resources that a Louisville has to essentially bankroll and and kind of market and create a buzz around a team. Louisville is like the only program that I can think of, like a Power 5 program that that is taking this sort of approach, right? And this is Louisville we're talking about. This is a top 10, top seven, eight program in college basketball history. Uh, you know, so I don't want to accept that because that's just not reality. Uh, and it makes me feel like we're behind the times a little bit, you know, and I don't want to become, you know, Indiana or UCLA before Mick Cronin or, you know, there, there's some of these programs that just have these these lulls, and that's becoming Louisville. I mean, you know, as as we suggested already, it's been six, seven years since there was anything relevant happening at Louisville, aside from a two-month stretch under Chris Mack, and then COVID hit and kind of shit hit the fan after that. But uh, 
I, I just don't want to be the program that accepts that. And it's the little things like that. It's little throwaway things that you pick up on that. It feels like that mindset's still kind of similar to last year where it's like, all right, well, I don't want to set the expectations too high yet. Um, but ultimately, in my opinion, I hope that we can set the expectations based on what we see on the floor, right? Like, uh, you know, if, if this, this team comes out the gate and goes two and three, you know, right there, we know what's going on with this program. If they come out the gate and go six and zero, oh, then then you can start talking about expectations. Then you can start talking about, okay, this is a team that I can, can actually beat some people. This is a team that can make the postseason. Uh, and, until then, though, I, you know, I, I mean, it's little stuff like that that I don't want to get too hung up on it. But at the same time, I don't want to have that mentality at all as, as a fan. Yeah, there's just, I mean, like you said, look at Jerome Tang. The man just got a huge extension and for a reason. Because in one year, he turned K-State, who hasn't been relevant in 15 years, into an Elite Eight team. Like, it's, it can be done so quickly, and I agree, we cannot become Indiana. That is my biggest fear the longer this happens, is that we become the program that was so used to being top 10, top 15 every single year, and then just slowly, it starts to slip away. We have the David Padgett years. We have the Chris Pat, Chris Mack years. And we slowly become less and less ingrained in those winning traditions. And then eventually it just goes away. And you look around and you're like, wait, what? We're not a blue blood anymore? And so I think that's my biggest fear is that the longer this occurs, the longer this happens, the more we become the Hoosiers, which they have. They look like they're going to have a good team this year. And I hope they do because I like when the blue bloods are good. It makes college basketball more interesting. But just afraid that if we continue to say, oh, this is just this, the first step of, a, of many in a rebuilding program, that this program is never going to become what it should be and it's going to fall off and become something that should have never happened and something that I would have never expected to happen in my lifetime. So uh, he said some good things. I liked, I liked some of the things he said, especially about Tyler Johns and a Brandon Huntley Hatfield. They give me some hope. And uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on before we get off here, he talked about he's got a collective group of guys where there's not a big jump from one to the other when it comes to talent. They're all pretty good college players. And uh, I think you talked about it earlier. That's something that's big. Last year, you know, we had L. Ellis, and he was kind of very clearly cream of the crop of this team when it came to talent. But then after that, you were just kind of like, okay, who else can score the ball? And when L was playing poorly and when L was tired, he couldn't go to the bench and be like, Zan, get in there. Give us your best five minutes because, unfortunately, his best five minutes wouldn't cut it on, an, on a D3 basketball floor. So I, And he talked about with this year, if there's a guy not playing hard and they're not bringing it, he's going to come in and immediately sub in for another guy that has almost as much talent. So I think that is one really big thing that we didn't have last year, that overall well-rounded roster that hopefully we have this year. Where, like you said, we're too deep at every position where if some guy's not giving effort or if some guy's just having an off night, we have another option that we can go to, whether that is – Percy Miller, whether that is Tyler Johnson or Caleb Glenn, Curtis Williams, whoever it is. Yeah, and that shouldn't be overlooked either. You know, that's there's so much to be said of having that kind of depth because last year, I mean, it's got to be at least part of of some of the issues was that there were three or four guys on on that team that knew no matter what they did, there was nothing behind them. Like they they had no other option but to play those guys. They had three fouls in the first half. They're probably playing. If they turn the ball over five times in a half, they're probably playing. If they had a defensive lapse and they let a guy 
drive by them or, you know, you know, you're on the wrong guy or, you know, you didn't, didn't box out correctly or any of that kind of stuff. Those little things, they add up over the course of a game. When you look at a, at a high level college basketball game, you know, it's eight to 10 to 12 of those hustle plays that ultimately decide the game. And all of those plays went in the other team's favor almost every single game last season. So that's not something to kind of just like turn your nose at or not acknowledge either. And who knows, maybe that is a huge difference. And maybe it comes out that there were two or three guys on this team last year that were just complete cancers to the team. Like you, you, you truly don't know. And again, that's kind of why I want to see that on, on, on the floor as well. Um, looking forward to Wednesday to the red white scrimmage. What are, what are you looking, looking to see them the most? Like, is there anything you can take away from these games where you can say, okay, well, that guy is a huge positive or this is a huge asset for this team. Yeah. I mean, red white scrimmages is much fun and as exciting as they are to see. I don't really ever think I've watched it been like, wow, that's a huge takeaway. But I mean, I think with this team, there is a little bit more to be interested in because there's so many new players. So, I mean, I'm excited to see Karan Davis. I'm excited to see Tyler Johnson, Curtis Williams, Caleb Glenn, Dennis Evans, Danilo Jovanovic. I'm excited to see all these guys and uh, see, because I think it's kind of immediate. You can see, oh yeah, that guy's got it. He should, he should be here. He belongs here. So I think in that aspect, there's just so many new faces that we can look at and can kind of understand like, oh, now I see why the staff brought them on or, or we can be like, why in the world did we just add a Juco player that wasn't ranked in the top 100? So I think that's going to be super interesting just kind of seeing how that talent looks. And then also excited to see some of the guys that are coming back. Manny, I, he definitely didn't have the talent to be at the level he was last year, but I cannot deny that that's the most effort and hustle I've seen from a Lowell player in five years. So if the staff, if KP can, be that big man whisper that we believed he was when he had Anthony Davis and he had DeMarcus Cousins and he had Willie Colley Stein, then maybe there is something there with Manny. So excited to see that uh, JJ trainer, of course, and then Brandon Huntley Hatfield. So just excited to see if the guys we had returning improve because they need to, and to see what these incoming players are and what that talent level is. And that'll kind of help me gauge my expectations for the season. Yeah. And you didn't even mention this sets it up perfectly for me though. The, the person that I'm most excited to see, which is Trey White. Uh, I think that Trey White's probably the best player on this team. Uh, and, and from everything that you hear coming out of practice from people that are in the know, uh, this is a guy that could absolutely be a first-round draft pick this year. And he's going from a situation at USC where he was really the third guy to now he can be the man at Louisville. And he has everything that it takes to be a star 3-and-D type of player uh, in, in the ACC. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, you look at this at this roster, and whether you see Trey White as a two or a three, I think that he's a starter. Uh, and then you could have a Trey White. So you could have a Trey White, Mike James, Sky Clark roster in the backcourt, and all of a sudden that that is much improved from a season ago. Uh, I think that a second-year Mike James could play off and feed off really well off of Trey White. I think that Mike James and Trey White in practice is probably – a fascinating head-to-head matchup. It's two guys that are pretty polished offensively uh, for, for, for their age and experience uh, and two guys that they're going to make each other better having to defend each other every day. That's the, that's one of the main things that I want to see. The other thing I want to see is Karan Davis and Javillo, J- Danilo Jovanovic. 
and apparently we're calling him D-Lo. That's what, uh, that's, that's what the coaches call him on social media. I want to see D-Lo and I want to see Karan Davis solely for the reasons of Louisville could have had Caleb Glenn in the offseason. Louisville could have had a number of, of very high-level, high-profile transfers. And they went with Karan Davis and Danilo Jovanovic. And again, it's nothing against those guys, but when you look at the types of players that Louisville has always expected to get, when you look at the types of players that we definitely expect Kenny Payne to get, that's neither of those guys are it. So it's going to be incredibly fascinating to to watch and see are these guys that can actually play on this level. Now, I will say D'Lo was recruited by Jim Laranega at Miami. So I know that he at least has some sort of solid skill set. Like this is a guy that's bringing in the best recruiting classes in the country, save Kansas and Kentucky right now. Uh, so that's one thing to consider is that, you know, maybe this coaching staff sees what the Miami coaching staff saw in him. Uh, and then, you know, the, the other thing is, you know, Karan Davis, again, coming in, he said in an interview at one point that he had offers from a few different power five schools, but not at the level of what we expect Louisville to be. So is that a guy that's just going to be a supplemental piece? Is he a guy that we're expecting to kind of push other players on the roster, or is this going to be another Percy Miller's and Payne level player? Because Louisville, Louisville has to have something better than that. Uh, if, if those two guys can pan out to be like, if that's your 11th and 12th guy, the, the, the guys, and, and, and they're pretty solid, like they're pushing the guys in front of them then yeah, I'll, I'll have a lot more optimism towards this season. If they come in and it's just like, all right, what, what is this? Like, seriously, <laughs> like, which that's, that's my fear. That's my fear that that's what that's going to be because then you're one injury away from, you know, Karan Davis, maybe being your starting two or whatever, whatever the case might be. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to happen, but you don't, you don't necessarily know how everything's going to shake out. And you want the guys that are going to be in the the backup secondary positions to not be much of a fall off from the primary guys. So that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Um, any final thoughts or comments before we get out of here? Nope. I'm, I'm excited to see it. I don't know if I'll be able to catch it live, but I'll definitely be going back and watching a, uh, a full game recap somewhere on the internet. I mean, yeah, Mike James, Sky Clark, Trey White, all super, super excited about them. Those are kind of the guys that I'm, expecting and counting on to be the catalyst of this team um so hoping to see them play at a level a little bit above the rest of the guys um also just interested to see some of the matchups hoping to see maybe sky clark versus tyler johnson hoping to see maybe a mike james versus a trey white i think that would be fun and kind of see how they compete or maybe have sky clark mike james trey white all on the same team see how they gel uh, so i'll be interested to see how kp decides to uh, match those guys up but all in all i think it'll be a bit of a more competitive red-white scrimmage just due to the fact that we have a much more balanced roster. So uh, I'm I'm really pumped to watch it. Dude, yep. I, I, I am not even saying this tongue-in-cheek. I'm excited to have basketball back. I'm excited to see – got nine new guys. And no matter, you know, how negative a lot of the conversations come off, it's nine new players to get to check out. And and just a, another chance to see how this the staff and this team is assimilating. I, it's it's not quite the the hype of, of football right now, but I am excited just to get back to 
you know, the grind of, of, you know, what is a college basketball season. So he's Jay Cook. You can follow him at, at UofL underscore updates on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow. You can find me on Twitter at Press Meyer, but most importantly, at the state of Lou. Get us over 10,000 followers. We're real close on Twitter. And follow us at the state of Louisville on Instagram, as always. Until next time, starting 502 Podcast, let's get out of here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.